What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. You're listening to Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. All week we've been reviewing the NFC North and taking a look at the divisions, what we can look forward to with the NFC North. We turn to Michael Rothstein, who covers the Detroit Lions like a blanket for ESPN.com, part of NFL Nation. Mike joins us here on ESPN 1000. As always, I appreciate your time, sir. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? I'm well. Everything good with you and the family in uh, Michigan? Yeah, you know, everybody's just kind of hanging out. Uh, my dad's in New York. My brother's in North Carolina. My family's kind of scattered. My extended family's scattered wherever. We're just all, you know, staying safe, staying healthy. Uh, my dad's read more books in the past two months than he has in the past decade. So he's making progress. <laughs> well, that's good. That's a positive for sure. Uh, I want to get your thoughts about the uh, the off season for the Lions so far. What has stood out most about what Detroit has done? I mean, you know, they, they're trying to add depth. They're trying to add speed, and they're trying to add players who can get them to win this year if, if there's a season this year. And they've done it in every level uh, and on every phase of the ball. If you look at what they've done in free agency, they brought in a lot of guys with Patriots ties, and that was done at least somewhat strategically because – they figured there wasn't going to be a spring or that there was a good chance there wouldn't be. And these guys at least know the system, know Matt Patricia, Matt Patricia knows them. So the learning curve would be less steep in a training camp, whether it's a longer, shorter, or whatever we end up having. And then you look at the draft, and I think they might have drafted four day one starters out of the draft. They knew they needed an influx of talent, and they knew the positions they needed it at and I think they attack those positions fairly well. They, they still have a pretty large hole, I think, at defensive tackle. And I think they could probably use another edge rusher. But I think they otherwise, at least on paper, solved some of their problems. Now, does that make them a lot better? I, I, I can't tell you. I don't think anyone can right now because no one has seen anybody except for virtually for a long time. And, and all these guys are doing stuff through virtual meetings. They're not getting any work on the field. Michael Rothstein covers the Lions for NFL Nation on ESPN.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Uh, without hyperbole, Michael, I will tell you this. If you cannot run the football with Kerryon Johnson, Bo Scarborough, and DeAndre Swift, then the Lions will never be able to run the football. And I'm, it's serious because as a Georgia guy, I saw Swift, and I just I think that he's a terrific back. You know, that's pretty much running back you at Georgia because that's what they do the best. But someone's got to be able to merge out of here to be able to run the football effectively to get the pressure off of Stafford. Because otherwise, then that means that they'll, they'll never be able to do it. Because <laughs> I, I believe in all three of those guys, seriously. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's listen, it's been the – this will be season eight covering the Lions this year, and it's been a revolving door of running backs, and it's been a revolving door of the next guy. 
You know, and that starts with Reggie Bush back in 2013, who was a 1,000-yard rusher, and they had a good rushing attack in 13 and arguably in 14, although injuries set in in 14 with Reggie Bush and Joyke Bell. They haven't had that consistently since. They drafted Amir Abdullah, never really panned out. They drafted Carryon Johnson. When Carryon Johnson's healthy, he's pretty darn good, but he's only played in 18 of a possible 30 32 games. So he just hasn't been available. And now they draft DeAndre Swift. And the plan is going to be pretty simple. It's all of these guys are going to get the ball. Bo Scarborough, DeAndre Swift, on Johnson, maybe even Ty Johnson or Huntley, who they drafted out of New Mexico State in the fifth round. There's going to be a running back by committee in Detroit. They're going to try and figure it out. Is Swift a part of that? Absolutely. Is he the lead back? Potentially. But the way Matt Patricia, I think, wants to run his running backs is not have a lead bell cow, you know, Matt Forte like for Chicago people back like in years past. That's just not the way that New England runs things. That's not the way Patricia has wanted to run things in Detroit, no matter who the back has been. And now they have more options to kind of keep those guys fresh. And frankly, I think in part to keep carry on Johnson healthy because the less hits he takes, the less chance he has of hurting a knee or, or another body part again. And then if you have all of a sudden in December, DeAndre Swift, on Johnson, Bo Scarborough, and, you know, insert fourth back here, all healthy, that's a pretty potentially formidable running back room at a time of year when you need to be able to run the ball. And that's what Matt Patricia has always wanted since he got to Detroit. So, Mike, let's take a look at the ebb and flow of the schedule for the Lions. Uh, on Thursday, we're all excited to see how the uh, schedule would line up. And for Detroit, it starts with the Bears on the 13th of September. And I should probably ignore these dates because we don't know exactly when these games will take place. But we just know it's Bears-Lions at the beginning uh, at Ford Field, followed by Green Bay and Arizona on the road, and then New Orleans into the bye. That's going to be New Orleans games at home, followed by two road games against Jacksonville and Atlanta, against Indianapolis at Minnesota, against Washington at Carolina, against Houston, against the Bears on December 6th um, at Soldier Field, Green Bay at Tennessee, Tampa, and Minnesota. You know, it's hard to tell exactly what the lines will be because for me, Mike, I'm looking at the first four games as the bye. I think that will tell a great story about how the Lions will go about their business and, and you know, to what I would consider a tough game on the road against Green Bay and then New Orleans was always very difficult. How do you foresee the schedule, the way it lines up? First of all, the fact that you just said that this was Thursday, I'm my, it feels like three weeks ago. So <laughs> let's just start there. That schedule was released. My, my mind is a little bit of processing right this moment, but that, was, in fact, less than a week ago yes, that that happened. So beyond that, yeah, I look at the schedule, and I think it's a very first, very tough first four games. And the game you didn't mention in there I think might be the trickiest of all, and that is at Arizona, because I think that offense is going to be very, very good this year. All of a sudden, you have an offense with Kyler Murray at quarterback, DeAndre Hopkins and Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk at wide receiver, Kenyon Drake at running back and an okay at least offensive line, and Cliff Kingsbury's offense, which once I think they get all the pieces, going to be very dynamic. 
Find me a a secondary in the league that has enough talent to maybe cover that. And I think it's going to be a really, really tough game in Arizona. The Lions have always struggled with the Cardinals in Arizona, dating back many years. Just look at last year when they were up, and then Kyler Murray does Kyler Murray things, and they end up in a tie to start the year. I look at it, and yeah, I think the first four games could tell you a lot. But if they're one in three out of the first four, I don't think their season's over. I, because it's very, their schedule is very backloaded with home games, and I think that there's about five or six, maybe even seven, real toss-up games on this schedule. The Arizona game being one of them, at Green Bay being another one of them. I would say the home game against Chicago, I think that's a game that they probably should win. That can really go either way, but the crux of those are in that middle of the schedule, maybe from like weeks eight to like 13 or 14 going through, I would say probably the game at Chicago, like right maybe from Atlanta to the game at Chicago. I think almost every game in there, except for the one at Minnesota, to me is a toss up game. And that to me is where their season goes one way or the other is how they handle that stretch. You win five, five of those games, four of those games, five of those games. I think you're in pretty good shape potentially to maybe make a run at the playoffs. But if you win two or three, then I, I don't know. You know, I think you got to start making up games somewhere and uh, who knows? I mean, I every generally I look at the schedule this time of year and I just kind of shoulder shrug emoji and, and just roll with it. But <laughs> this year, even more so without, the spring without knowing what, even though you know who the rookies are, you don't know what any of this is going to look like. You don't know how much time people are going to have. We don't even know when this is going to all start. I, I think this year, especially, you can just be like, I, I honestly don't really have a clue. I don't know. I picked them in our, uh, when the schedule came out, we do game by game. I picked them at eight and eight. Usually I do that anyway, but this year I really felt like there's, that's probably a good place to, as any to start with almost every team in the league, except for maybe like a Kansas City or a Cincinnati or something like that on a positive and a, and a negative end. Because we just don't know so much even about when this thing's going to start and when that first game might be. Because we've heard different things about maybe potential contingency plans, right? We've all heard them. Right. We don't know about them, but we all heard them. That this Chicago game might not even be week one. Who knows? So I, I, I just don't, I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> that's a long answer for saying I, I don't know. No, it's it's what we're doing is Mike, as we talked to Michael Rothstein who covers the Lions for ESPN dot com with Jonathan Hood on ESPN one thousand, we were just looking at is just pretty much looking at the schedule and looking at the rosters and saying what if. And that's what it, the whole thing is what if. So Michael, if you believe just uh, just first blush with the pen. I know that you've got to put it in 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 ink uh, off for ESPN dot com. What what I look at is I see the schedule. It's like oh, it's kind of a lark. It's funny to look at the schedule and just put win loss. I always have it look at look at at the beginning, look at training camp, and then right before the season, I make my official prediction. But if you believe that the Lions could be a seven or eight win ball club, that means slippage for someone. Who who's that team that's going to slip in the north then? Because if they're, I know the Lions will improve, but if they're that good. Is it the Vikings? Is it Bears? Packers? Who slips in the North? I think it. I mean, I think they just end up being all really close to one another. I think the Vikings are the best team in the division. Yes. Uh, I think they're the most talent. I think they've they've been together the longest, and I think they're the most complete team based off of what you're seeing on paper right now. I, I still think Aaron Rodgers is missing some receivers. I, I don't wouldn't have a great amount of faith right now in Devin Funches as the number two in Green Bay just because 
Devin Funches has had his own injury issues. But if Devin Funches is healthy, he's a mismatch nightmare. Uh, as people in Michigan know, because they saw him play at Michigan for a few years. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone slips as much as it's just kind of a really tight division that has, like it's been the last few years, I think one of the tougher divisions in the NFL. Because, I mean, even the Lions last year, right, like most of their games were one-possession games. So they were not, their record was bad, and then they lose Stafford, and everything from there was really bad. But they weren't that far off record-wise from winning some of these games. And that, to me, says there may be, if they can put it together, they can be competitive. So I don't know who loses that step. I, I mean, I, don't, I think the Bears have the potential to be better. I think the Vikings have the potential to be better. I think Green Bay might be a little bit worse, but who knows what that offense is going to look like. They really loaded up on running back, I thought, in the draft, so maybe they're looking to maybe take some pressure off Aaron Rodgers a little bit. And obviously they draft Jordan Love, so who knows what that's going to look like. And, you know, if Aaron Rodgers comes into the season playing angry like and playing with something to prove, well, maybe all of this is, is for naught. And Aaron Rodgers goes 13-3 and because we know Aaron Rodgers is one of the best out there, right? So I don't know. I, that's it's it's an intriguing thing to see. If anything, I think that it could be that the teams and the divisions that they're playing as a whole, when you look at the AFC South and the NFC South, there could be some more wins there than some of the other divisions that you play, right? Like they might, I, I could see a scenario where all four teams beat Jacksonville, for instance, right? And all four teams maybe beat the Colts, depending on how you feel about, whether Philip Rivers has what, how much he has left, you know, maybe, maybe I, I, you would say Tampa, but obviously Tampa has Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski now. So I don't think that they're as easy of a win as they might've been a year ago. So I look at it and I say, I think that's where some of these wins come and, and makes it so tight is I think this division is going to beat each other up, but also I think that the fact that they're playing some other divisional opponents that can be had and can be beaten to me, that's where maybe it gets really, really tight, and it would shock. It would not shock me at all if you saw like every team in the division within like one game of five hundred of each other, like division record wise. I just think it could be that close this year. Michael Rothstein with us here as you're listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. Glad you're in with me here on this Wednesday night on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. We're reading Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN about what's going on with the NBA. So his latest tweets says that NBA is hopeful that 22 of the 30 franchises will have facilities open for voluntary workouts by Monday. Uh, goes on to say Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, told those on the NBA's Board of Governors call on Tuesday that if a positive test would shut us down, we probably shouldn't go down this path. And so this is more of a wide ranging conversation about the UFC, what uh, Dana White and Dana White is someone who is just trying to jam his events and he's got an event that's happening tonight. They're trying to have as many events as possible. They had their UFC show. We re- we um, reviewed it with uh, Ray Flores on our Monday show. You can go in the archives of the uh, ESPN Chicago app. Look for Under the Hood. And Ray broke down UFC 249. And again, is there an event taking place now? Dana White couldn't care less 
about this COVID-19 as far as trying to get his events on. And so he had one in Jacksonville. There were three people that came down with COVID-19. One of his fighters and two of the cameramen that's involved with ESPN Plus. And he was like, okay, well, we got to quarantine them, but the event's still going on. And so from the NBA standpoint, I don't know if they look at the UFC as a business model saying, if a player has COVID-19, do we shut down the league like we did before with Rigo Bear and others and Donovan Mitchell? Um, That's something that has to be considered. Um, If the NBA wants to be able to have events, and again, to me, you start with the playoffs. You don't resume the rest of the regular season. That's done. Like No one's coming back to be a 7th or 8th seed in the East or West, so start with the playoffs. And so it'll be interesting to see how these other uh, sports will look at something, because it's inevitable, right? Because this spread just continues someone in the building a worker or a ball player has COVID-19 what do you do do you just quarantine that person and just keep it moving or do you shut down the league and this is something that's uh, on the table for sure some thoughts now from um, Mark Spears Mark Spears from the undefeated uh, was on talking about uh, this whole uh, pandemic and what the NBA could do Mark Spears uh, first take your take. He said that everyone may not want to come back to the NBA. So it'll be interesting to see if some players don't want to do it. Like, I can only imagine what Carl Anthony Towns is going through now. Got to be devastated. He lost his mom. You think he want to play basketball? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's an escape for him. I can't speak for him, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not 100% that everybody wants to go back. So this is a correlation to our major league baseball conversation that we had a couple of hours ago about how MLB players may feel about trying to return. If you are a player that's making the top dollar somewhere in the middle or, or to the bottom, and you know that if it starts with the playoffs, you know, you may not get your full income. That's another thing too. You may not get your full check. It's, it's going to be less than the first and 15th check that they're used to. Um, but there are some that are really afraid of this COVID-19, do not want to be infected with it. As, if, as, he, as you heard Spears talk about what's going on with Carl Anthony Towns missing, you know, losing his mother because of COVID-19. All right, some players are going to look at that and say, well, I'm not going to return until I know that there's a cure or that I know that we're going to be safe. Um, Spears believes that he doesn't think the entire NBA will return. I don't think so, man. It like all sounds good right now, but there's just too many ifs, too many potential tragedies. This ain't tennis. This ain't bowling. This is sweaty people knocking each over each other over taking charges. I just, I, I think it would be smarter to put the energy towards starting next season as late as possible, so fans could be involved. And there's just more known, more education on how to how to beat this and then actually maybe allow other uh, leagues to be the guinea pigs to help the NBA. Interesting. Uh, And one model that we have heard is that the NBA would just shut down for the rest of this season and come back in December, uh, come back around Christmas or January of next year. Who knows? As we talk about this here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app, Brian Windhorst was on SportsCenter and he gave his thoughts uh, with SVP about uh, players and owners trying to return. 
Last night, the Players Union sent a memo to all the league's agents, and in that they said that they feel that both the league owners and the players, based on their feel, do want to return to play. And so I will say that over the last seven or or ten days, there has been a quickening of that within the NBA. There is definitely traction heading in that direction. It may have been influenced by the fact that the soccer leagues in Europe are restarting. It may have been influenced by the fact that the UFC has restarted and that baseball is making moves in that direction. But the big thing for the NBA and what they have to work out amongst everybody is risk tolerance. What is your level of risk tolerance going to be? And that's why they are not 100% sure anything's going to happen yet. I've got an old Warriors and Cleveland Cavaliers playoff game, finals game on uh, in the studio right here. And it's like, you know, I still have those, that feeling of the NBA. But once again, like all of our sports, when they're ready to come back, they will return. Tyler, I saw this from the uh, theathletic.com. I just want to get your thoughts. This is a story from The Athletic about average ticket prices during this COVID-19 for the NFL. Average prices on the secondary market for NFL games since the schedule came out last Thursday are at $391, which is up 51% from 2019 with only four teams down, Patriots, Lions, Chargers, and Bears. So I looked at the, the average ticket price, and <laughs> it is amazing. I guess COVID-19 or not, the NFL owners are still going to keep their price. The Raiders going to Vegas, right? Average ticket price on the secondary market, $1,098. Broncos at $774. Broncos at, uh, or the Cowboys rather, at $646. The uh, Seahawks at $538 on the secondary market. Um, So that's not coming down, even though we're going through 17 to 20% unemployment and uh, COVID-19. That my jaw just dropped when you said that. I mean, th- that much? I mean, you, you figured this would be a buy low opportunity for people who think, okay, maybe there might be an NFL season. Maybe we can squeak into a game. But, I mean, the teams that you said who have seen the drop make sense. But I, I could not believe that number when you just said it. 1098 bucks for the Raiders. And, of course, they're going to be in Vegas. And who knows if there's going to be butts in seats anyway uh, throughout the the NFL season. I know many fans are looking forward to that. But, that is, uh, that's a lot. You know, I haven't been working for eight weeks to 12 weeks, whatever, how long it is. The NFL's back. Okay, so now you want me to dig in my pocket on the secondary market. <laughs> that's, I have a that, feeling they're going to be sitting up there for a while. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, I mean, up 51%. It's crazy. All right, let's talk more about the NFL with Bill Barnwell. His thoughts about the Bears. Are the Bears going in the right direction in the NFC North? Let's talk about it next on UTH. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. We are talking about the NFL and the Bears right here on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app with Jonathan Hood. We are pleased to be joined by Bill Barnwell of ESPN and ESPN.com. As we have our conversation, download his podcast. It's the Bill Barnwell podcast. Always great uh, conversation about the National Football League on Bill's podcast. And he joins me here on ESPN 1000. Bill, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. It's a pleasure, Mr. Hood. How are you? I, I really appreciate your time. I'm doing good. Uh, first, let me check in with you and your family. How's everything going with the the curve, the pandemic, and everything that's going on right now? Oh, man, we're hanging in there. You know, uh, fortunately... I already work from home, so for me, it was actually not that big of a difference, I guess, all things considered. But, you know, we have family, you know, who are, are you know, doctors, the med nurses in New York and working on the front lines in New York. So, obviously, you know, hoping they, 
you know, continue to be healthy and, and everything seems to go okay for them. I hope it's, you know, hope you and your family are doing well as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for asking, Bill. I want to get your thoughts about the Bears. Is, is Dr. Barnwell mm-hmm. around? Can I talk to Dr. Dr. Bill? Because <laughs> I'm just going to lay down and I'm just going to let you talk to uh, us as uh, Bears fans about uh, this upcoming season. First, let's go back to your thoughts on the free agency for the Bears, because you thought that at the time when Nick Foles was traded from Jacksonville to Chicago, that it was kind of a, a C to C minus uh, grade for the Bears. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the, the uh, Bears quarterback situation right now for 2020? Uh, you know, I want to be nice. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but you know, uh, there's certainly upside here. I think that's fair to say. Well, let's start there on the positive side. I mean, these are two players, Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles, who at their best can be valuable quarterbacks. Mitch, obviously, I think more as a runner, you know, mixing that in. And then, you know, a guy who we know is a very good athlete, inconsistent, I think it's fair to say, a quarterback. But we've seen, you know, when he gets hot, Mitch, Mitch plays pretty well. So, you know, I, I don't think it's out of the question that Mitch Trubisky's career is a Bears quarterback is over just because they, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. And then with Nick Foles, I mean, you know, I had my questions about how much of the price tag they were picking up, why they were giving up a pick. You know, I think in the big picture when Andy Dalton got granted to go home, but Grant got $3 million without a pick attached, and the Bears gave, I think, about $21 million guaranteed to Nick Foles to uh, come over on a fourth-round pick. You have to be pretty confident about Nick Foles being better than Andy Dalton to make that work, and I'm not that confident myself, but you know, we know Nick Foles is a guy who, you know, can be competent at quarterback for stretches, can be great for stretches. Uh, we, we, we've seen him get really hot for periods of time. And I do think that, you know, he is an upgrade to Mitch Trubisky. My big concern with Nick Foles, more than anything, is health. This is a guy who has consistently struggled to stay healthy over the course of his career when teams have depended upon him as a starter. I mean, you know, last year was sort of a extreme example. He got hurt in the first quarter of the first game of the season, but this is a guy who I think, uh, going back through the start of his career, has not started 10 consecutive games without either being benched or getting injured. So in the big picture, my concern, or my, my, maybe my expectation, I guess I should say, is that we're still going to see both these guys in 2020, regardless of who wins the competition in training camp. Conversely, just from the Jacksonville standpoint, they get the fourth-round pick for 2020, um, and <laughs> it's a whole different conversation. But I'm just, I'm just so irate at Jacksonville. How can, how can you be the Miami Marlins, uh, you know, of the National Football League and do this? You can't do this in the NFL, Bill. You just can't strip away quality players in that market and just say, well, you know, they're they're on the precipice of being able to get to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and now mm-hmm. you know Tony Khan is stripping away and. Shotcon and Caldwell stripping away uh, talent and almost starting over. I can understand if, like this is baseball, but to do this in the NFL mm-hmm. in this in the modern day, that's crazy to me. Yeah, I think it's tough. You know, I, I think that uh, it's hard to say how much of the decisions they've made over the past few years was Tom Coughlin, how much was Dave Caldwell, how much is the Con family. Of course, you know when you have everyone in the same building, it's always going to be a mix of everyone. But we're seeing some of the moves that were made during the Coughlin era kind of get erased now that Tom Coughlin is gone. The Nick Foles trade, obviously, uh, has moved on. There's been, uh, you know, a, a desperate, I think it's fair to say, attempt to trade Leonard Fournette, a former top five pick from this team, uh, and certainly a favorite, it seems like, of Tom Coughlin, at least when they drafted him. Uh, and that has been unsuccessful. They declined his fifth-year option as well. Um you know, I, I feel bad for Jaguars fans. That was a really fun team that year. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, they were 
they were up on the Patriots in the fourth quarter of the AFC Championship game in Foxborough. If Miles Jack is not incorrectly ruled down, they might be in the Super Bowl against Nick Foles. And that could be, you know, they could be a, a Super Bowl champion with that roster. And obviously everything changes if they win that Super Bowl. But um, I'm not a big tanking guy uh, when it comes to football. I don't think it's a very logical plan. I'm not sure if they are tanking per se, but I do think at the end of the day, um, this is a team that sort of, you know, I- I'm surprised that the people who were there for this last rebuild under Gus Bradley uh, and then uh, into the, the Maroon era are sticking around to pick the players for this next rebuild. It doesn't typically happen that way. So um bit surprised that Dave Caldwell managed to keep his job, even if Tom Coughlin was uh, let go. Yeah, it's good. It's crazy. Bill Barnwell from ESPN.com, host of the Bill Barnwell podcast, wherever you download your podcast. Joins me, Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So, Bill, so do you foresee um, Nick Foles starting for the Bears this upcoming season? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm. it's hard to say, and here's why. Because when I actually think about Blake Bortles a lot when it comes to how the Bears have treated Mitchell Trubisky and Josh Allen with the Bills, where you have these guys who are, you know, marginal starters. You have guys who, uh, you know, I think these teams draft these guys really high in the first round and then perceive them to be franchise quarterbacks, and then sort of there's a confirmation bias. They take everything that's in their favor to prove there's a franchise quarterback, and they kind of ignore the negatives. The Bears, thankfully, uh, when it came to Ryan Pace, did not follow in the Jaguars' footsteps in picking up Blake Bortles' option, uh, picking up Mitch Trubisky's option, I should say. So, um, you know, I, I do think there's still going to be a soft spot for Trubisky. I think the Bears would probably be happier in the big picture if uh, Trubisky did win the job and did play better and was the guy going forward. But I do think at the end of the day, you look at what they did. I mean, the, the Bears could have waited for Andy Dalton. They could have waited for Cam Newton. Instead, they guaranteed Nick Foles all that money. They did decline Mr. Trubisky's option. I think their actions are saying at this point that they're kind of done and they're ready to move on to Nick Foles. So, you know, if Mitch does win the job, great. I think it's a miracle. I think they, you know, they'd be thrilled if Mr. Trubisky turns out to be the guy they were hoping this time last year. But I do think their actions seem to indicate that they're expecting Nick Foles to be their starting quarterback week one. So the other signings that stood out that have Bears fans just up in arms is Jimmy Graham, right? So yeah. we saw Jimmy Graham toward the in, de- definitely in the autumn of his career. There's no doubt we saw him in Green Bay, and that that wasn't the Jimmy Graham that we saw in New Orleans. That's just a that's just a different guy. And so it's mm-hmm. that, and then the the commit <laughs> draft pick in the second round. And so Bears fans are like, okay, so if you have ten tight ends in the room, do you have one? <laughs> Okay, and so so that's a Bears issue, and then the Robert Quinn signing. You believe that the Bears could have been able to get uh, another solid pass rusher, but not for so much money for Quinn. How do you weigh the Graham and Quinn signings by the Bears? Let me start with Quinn. I think he's really interesting because you look at uh, some of the work ESPN does in terms of uh, measuring pass rush, the the pass rush win rate analysis that that involves that uh, you know the the player tracking data the NFL produces. Robert Quinn tracks out as the best pass rusher in football by those measures. Now, I'm not saying you should pay Robert Quinn like he's the top pass rusher in football, and the Bears are not. And clearly, there was not a market to pay him at that level. But I think he's a guy where, you know, he might be pretty underrated. He might be, you know, a, a top 10, top 12 pass rusher. So, um, you know, I don't know that's what necessarily what the Bears needed, given that they have Phil Mack as the, or at least at the time, was the highest paid uh, edge rusher in football on the other side of the field. I don't think you want to necessarily commit that much to two edge rushers, but I do think Robert Quinn is a really talented football player and honestly a pretty underrated football player. So I, you know, I could maybe sort of wonder about spending the money elsewhere, but at the end of the day, 
I think he's a good player, and I think that's not the worst idea in the world. But Jimmy Graham, you know, it, it's just – I understand being optimistic. I understand hoping to kind of have a guy you can plug in there, whether it's Foles, who loved throwing to tight ends in Philadelphia, or Trubisky, who, uh, you know, who did have some kind of connection with Trey Burton that first year before things went south last year. I understand wanting to invest in tight ends. This is an organization that over and over again has said, hey, we don't know what we're doing. They paid – uh, they drafted Adam Shaheen in the second round, and that turned out to be disappointing. Of course, injuries are a big part there. They paid Trey Burton like he was a top-five tight end when he was, you know, had been the Eagles' number two, number three tight end. That contract didn't work out. They have a lot of good money for that Trey Burton deal. Um, Jimmy Graham contract, I mean, you know, it's one thing if it's – I hear from somebody in the league, and they say, oh, that's a little surprised by that. That was, I think, every team in the league kind of said, wow, you know, what are we missing here that we didn't give Jimmy Graham that kind of money? Um so I'm just, you know, it's hard for me to think that the Bears did that out of much more than just desperation. I understand wanting to address the position, um, but I do wonder if they had known, okay, we're going to be able to get, get uh, Cole Komet in the second round, would they go back and, and offer Jimmy Graham that same contract? I, I, I can't say. There are different sorts of players, but I do think that, you know, given how thin, or given how, how, uh, how unaffected the wide receiver market was this year, how he did see a lot of, you know, talented wideouts, uh, you know, signed for marginal money. I wonder if they've been better off spending money on a wide receiver and, you know, committing to another tight end elsewhere uh, for much less money as opposed to giving Jimmy Graham what is really a pretty shocking deal given his lack of blocking ability and given that we really have seen him miss and lose several steps over the past couple of years. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. Bill Barnwell from ESPN.com, host of the Bill Barnwell Podcast, wherever you download your podcast. Joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So, Bill, okay, Akeem Hicks, uh, Eddie Goldman, Khalil Mack, as we mentioned, Roquan Smith, uh, Robert mm-hmm. Quinn, Kyle Fuller, Eddie Jackson. I got it. The Bears are trying to build the 2000 Ravens. That's <laughs> they're trying to. They, they, I mean, your defense is solid. I mean, it, it was solid before the, the, as you mentioned, the signing. You didn't have to. You didn't have to sign Robert Quinn. That defense was already going to be great. Um, mm-hmm. But it just, it's, it's kind of what the tradition has been for Bears football. It has been a strong defense, and sometimes the defense having to do the job for the offense. And this is, this is the imbalance that we've been talking about with this team. So I'll, I'll ask you about. The, the Bears versus the uh, the NFC North because we know the storylines there with the Packers as far as them uh, not going out and get themselves a front-line wide receiver for Aaron Rodgers. Vikings, sure. I thought, had a terrific draft. So how, how do you assess the the NFC North, what you've seen here in the offseason? I have to admit, I think it's still pretty wide open. Um, you know, I think the Packers, even leaving that wide receiver issue aside, you look at the numbers for the Packers, they are maybe the most likely team in the league to decline in 2020. Not, not going to be a bad team, I don't think. They're not going to go 4-12, and 12, but wouldn't shock me if they were a 9-7, you know, a 10-6 and six football team, if they were, you know, kind of fell back to the pack. Uh, not to make a pun, but fell back to sort of the, the rest of the teams in the NFC North. The Vikings are a team that traded away Stephon Diggs, one of their best players, not rebuilding on defense, but certainly retooling uh, in the secondary on defense. A lot, a lot of veterans go kind of had to fix up that cap a little bit. Um, could see them taking a step backwards again. Lions are a team, by the numbers, coincidentally, 
they're probably one of the most likely teams in the league to improve this year. And you figure just getting Matthew Stafford back for you would assume 14, 15, 16 games would be a huge upgrade given that they were winless without Matthew Stafford or quarterback. So, um, you know, this could be a division where anything goes. I, I really do think it could be something like the NFC West last year. We could see a team come out of nowhere and win the division. And the Rams, who I think were everyone's hot favorite to win the division, fell off and kind of fell back to the pack. Now, um, the Bears, I, I mean, it, I think it depends on what you get at quarterback. We know the defense is going to be good. Mm-hmm. We know that, um, you know, there, there's talent on offense. This is not a talentless offense by any means. Um, you know, can uh, they get more competent and more consistent quarterback play? Can they get more effective uh, running the football and can Matt Nagy, a guy who, you know, I think was seen as an offensive, you know, mastermind in that first year and really took a lot of criticism, not only from, uh, you know, the local media, the national media, but also ex players, people who are watching that offense, you know, your Kurt Warners, your Dan Orlovsky, guys who, you know, are watching that offense trying to figure out what the, the, the concepts are and what the game plan is. Um, if Matt Nagy can kind of get back on track and, you know, whether he was sort of dumbing down that offense for Trubisky, maybe he can open it back up again or make it, you know, sort of tailor it to Nick Foles' strengths as opposed to Trubisky's strengths. Um, it all comes into play, but I think it wouldn't shock me if any of the teams in the NFC North finished in first place at the end of the year. Check out the Bill Barnwell podcast where you download your podcast, Bill Barnwell from ESPN.com. Joining me, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Schedule came out today, Bill. I'm just wondering, is there a team in particular you're looking forward to seeing this upcoming season that you're intrigued by? Mm, the easy answer is the Bucks, right? You know, just because <laughs> yeah. like, who knows what it's going to be. It's Brady and Gronk and all those receivers, Bruce Arians, defense. Defense was quietly really good last year. They looked terrible by regular numbers, by advanced metrics when you account for, you know, Jameis Winston throwing uh, all those pick sixes and all those interceptions. They're actually a really good defense by the numbers. So uh, they come out, they sent to me as a team that's really interesting. I think the Cardinals, a team that, of course, such an interesting offseason. Isaiah Simmons, DeAndre Hopkins, Kyler Murray kind of hitting his second season. That's a really exciting team to think about. Um you know, I look at the Chargers, where you know it could be Tyrod Taylor, it could be Justin Herbert, but a team that we know when they're they're healthy, which is pretty rare to be fair. But when they are healthy, they're a pretty talented football team. And then I think the AFC East, because it's always been you know kind of Patriots first and everyone else chasing them, and that's no longer the case. Patriots are in the thick of the division, and Bills are a team that could win thirteen games. Josh Allen plays probably they could win six or seven games. So uh, that division's wide open as well. So I'm a uh, I feel like that could be the most interesting division, and then just individual teams popping up here and there could be uh, really fascinating to watch come 2020. You and Mike Clay recently on your on the Bill Barnwell podcast talked about uh, fantasy rookie draft, looking at yep. some of the fantasy players uh, that we'll be definitely taking our, keeping our eyes on when the season starts. So I want to get your thoughts on the balance that you look at with the quarterback position, Bill, because look, I, as as someone who watched all of Joe Burrow's games at LSU, I just really intrigued by that team because I don't know, LSU implemented the forward pass, something that we did we don't see very often, <laughs> right? And so to be able to see the ball go down the field with someone with LSU uniforms, like, wow, they're not running the football a million times. Actually, they have a quarterback, and Burrow was great. But you know the, the yin and yang of this, right? It's like Burrow was terrific in college, and now he's with Cincinnati. And there will be some that mm-hmm. say, hey, there's weapons here and there, but there's still a learning curve. Same thing with Tua with, with uh, the Miami Dolphins. Just a devastating injury that he suffered at Alabama, and I felt really bad for mm-hmm. him. It's a litany of injuries he's suffered, and apparently he's, I guess when the bell rings, he'll be ready to go. Give me the quarterback that really stands out to you most that you're looking forward to seeing here on this next level. Yeah, it's got to be Burrow. I mean, just because 
there's, there's still a mystery there. I mean, at the end of the day, Joe Burrow was a guy who was, you know, kind of okay in 2018. You know, he was a, you know, a, a typical kind of mid-tier quarterback. And, you know, in the SEC, so he was playing tough competition. But, you know, when you ask scouts or ask people around the league, he kind of was a sixth, seventh round pick. And then he had the best season in, in college football history out of nowhere. And I wasn't expecting it. You know, I, and, and, you know, he was legit. He played great defenses. He was consistent. He obviously had great receivers, but, you know, he was awesome. He, he was just, he was unflappable against the best uh, competition anyone could have faced. He was dominant. And, you know, he could be a top five quarterback in the NFL from day one. That's not out of the question. Or he could just be off Luke gear. You know, he could really be really struggling. And I look at that team, there are weapons there. And like you said, I mean, A.J. Green, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, mm-hmm. um, you know, John Ross is your fourth receiver. That's pretty good when it comes to the wideouts. Uh, I thought Zach Taylor, you know, did some interesting stuff early in the year, but that offensive line was a disaster. So many guys got hurt. Uh, they're getting Jonah Williams back. They're Alabama first-round picket tackle. Um, so if they can't protect Joe Burrow, I think we're going to see you know, a mix of games where he's awesome and a mix of games where he's getting beat up uh, because they can't protect him. And I think it's going to be a mix of that in his rookie season, but anything's possible. I mean, you know, would it be shocking? Would it be the craziest thing in the world if, you know, the Bengals replaced uh, Ryan Finley and Andy Dalton with Joe Burrow and made a playoff run because they had, you know, suddenly a superstar quarterback, sort of similar to maybe that Colts team when they got Andrew Luck that first year? No, wouldn't shock me at all. So, you know, I, I, I'm excited because I think the the ceiling for Joe Burrow is one of the best quarterbacks in football. And, um, you know, it's always exciting to see a team that's kind of been struggling for a few years pop up and get one of those guys and move forward with a, you know, a, a franchise-altering player at quarterback. That's interesting you mentioned him. So, you believe that Burrow has more in Cincinnati than Tua would have in Miami, as far as uh, as far as as talent around him. I do, yeah. I mean, I think about okay. the Dolphins this offseason. You know, they added offensive linemen in the draft. And I think that's going to help. They signed Eric Flowers and Ted Karras. They added a ton of offensive line depth um, and some possible stars: Boston Jackson, Robert Hunt, um, and, and I guess Flowers as well. But they really didn't address the receiving core. I mean, it's Devontae Parker, Alan Hearns, Albert Wilson. Max Hollins, Gary Jennings, Mike Kosicki. I mean, they did sign Jordan Howard to a very questionable contract. Mm-hmm. They traded for Matt Breida, who's a, you know, going to be the, the boomer bust back for them. But they did not really add that receiver I was expecting for, uh, for Tua Tunga-Vailoa. So, I, you know, Devontae Parker played really well last year, but that was one year. I missed, you know, five or six years of him being very frustrating and very difficult to uh, kind of get on the field and play well week to week. So, I think we're going to be sitting here next year saying Joe Burrow and the Bengals need to add an offensive lineman to help that offensive line. And I think we're going to be sitting here saying the Dolphins need to add receiving talent for Tua Tango-Vailoa in 2021. Bill, lastly, and I appreciate your time, what does your gut tell you about the season starting on time? We see all these schedules in front of us, but we don't know mm-hmm. the actual dates. What, what do you think? Skeptical. I mean, you know, I, I would love – it did happen. I, I would love, obviously, but I think it has to be the the bigger picture has to be right. You know, I don't want the games to happen just so we can have games. I want there to be healthy people. I want there to be you know a safe opportunity for players to be able to play without you know having the proper testing, having the right people around them. And the reality is, even if the season does start on time, there's no guarantee it's going to end the way we expect. I mean, you know, there could be another uh, you know another rush of the coronavirus. 
Um, we could see players get a test positive and then that could stop the league temporarily. Um, it could suspend operations for the time being. I mean, there's so many different ways it could go. Um, you know, I, I think that the NFL's goal at the end of the day is to start games on time. And I like to believe it's going to happen, but I think we're going to have to see what other leagues do. I mean, we're going to have to see what happens with baseball, what happens with basketball and hockey, and then with uh, soccer leagues overseas. And, um, you know, what those leagues are able to start a season or restart their season and, you know, get able to keep things up week after week with testing and with players testing negatively, uh, you know, and, and I, I think it's going to be different. It's not going to be what we usually expect. I don't think there's going to be fans there either way, but, you know, I do think at the end of the day we're going to have something resembling a season. I'm just not sure if it's going to be, you know, the full 16-game affair as we typically would expect. Bill, I'm glad you uh, spent some time with us here in Chicago. I think some Bears fans feel better after our conversation. They feel they feel <laughs> like if Foles can stay healthy, I think that's what we got out of this. If Foles can stay healthy, there's a great possibility for the Bears as as, as a playoff team maybe. That's what it sounds like. Hey, I mean, they were 8-8 eight and eight last year. Yeah. You know, granted, the, the, the mood was negative. No one was feeling good about that Bears team, but if they're if they're downside, their ugly, awful, you know, disaster season was eight and eight, that's not all that bad. You know, a lot of teams. I'm a, I grew up as a Giants fan. Giants fans be pretty thrilled about eight and eight right now. So I can tell you that you know, you can get better quarterback play. That defense is legit. You could see a playoff team. It's hardly out of the question that we could see the Bears in the postseason uh, when it comes to January. All right, love our conversations as always, Bill. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Jonathan. Anytime. Thoughts there from Bill Barnwell, uh, uh, breaking down the National Football League with us not too long ago right here on ESPN 1000. Well, I ask you, if you have not done so, download the ESPN Chicago app. Have you done that? Android users, you can do it, as well as uh, iPhone users, you can do it as well. Uh, Check out the um, Under the Hood podcast uh, as you can go back, if you missed our shows, and some only listen to an hour, maybe a half hour, you can listen to all three hours of our show nightly by going to the Under the Hood podcast. We've had some great guests like tonight. We had Rick Mahorn, David Schoenfield on the program. We just heard from Bill Barnwell. And we had some great guests this week. We reviewed the NFC North. We take a look at uh, the NFC North from a gambling standpoint, going through all of the last dance stuff. Really fun. A lot of fun. So I thank you for listening and being part of the program here on ESPN 1000. This portion of our broadcast is brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. Tyler Key on the other side of the glass producing and directing the program. Don't forget to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com, tweetjhood. And don't forget the podcast. Wherever you download your podcast, look for Under the Hood on the ESPN Chicago app. Thanks so much for listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood.